No, no, no pundit on TV will ever get a job again. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the 40 Yard Switch. This is episode 65. What a bumper weekend of Premier League action it was. And we've even had some more dramatic news uh, since then with the first uh, day of Champions League action uh, going on this morning. Uh, this week, I'm not joined by my ever-dependable co-host, Wilbur Kudelukes, as he is uh, otherwise predisposed with various things. But rejoining us on the show for his second appearance is uh, Vincent Hu. How are you, mate? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm very well. I'm very well. And as uh, the first thing we'll touch on um, will probably be a reason for you to be better than usual, <laughs> uh, Man United 3, Arsenal 1. Oh, look, it's a, it's a nice time to be a United fan, just in though probably will be temporary <laughs> um you know first two weeks were horrid the next four weeks have been pretty nice um some believe it's just a bit of a honeymoon thing i can see progress it's not not like they're not amazing but you're getting the results which is always nice to see how quickly things can change hey four nil to brentford <laughs> mass mass swooping changes in the starting lineup two nil against liverpool and now you're unbeaten in four i know i mean at the same time arsenal literally lost their first game of the season and people were talking about them like they're one of the best teams in the league until now so yeah but I think a lot of people also did say like it's five games against who though and then like watch them they, you know you know, it's their first big test and see how they go against them and then like a lot of the quote unquote pundits said first big test we had we, we fell short I mean with the two teams both you know have been struggling a lot over the last few years and um, there's sort of like a dichotomy in the um, way the media views them when they're not good and when they're good right now it's like oh Arsenal finally went up against a team that's decent they didn't they lost so they're not that actually as good even though they're top of the table yeah with United it's like okay they're making progress they beat they bet, they bet Liverpool but Arsenal but they weren't that good against the other two it's they were counter-attacking it's the same narrative so yeah. Or you have people saying that United are back, which is obviously. I think yeah, it's 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 tricky because like people are saying, oh, United just play on the counter now, like you know, it's small club, whatever. But it's just like United were never going to play the way Ferguson played, people, like forever. You know what I mean? They weren't going to dominate teams forever. I mean, even when Ferguson played against certain teams, he played on a counter attack. It wasn't yeah. like they kept the ball for seventy percent of the time at all. Ferguson was defense first. Yeah, always. Yeah, and it's nice to see a clean sheet, two in a row. And honestly, people say, oh, like, you know, Leicester and Southampton, they weren't dominated by United. No, they weren't. But how many clean sheets have United had Yeah, for the last time? And even, even the, like this game, people were saying that Arsenal, like in terms of like chances created and all that, may have, been, may have edged it as like the better team on the day. I don't necessarily agree with this viewpoint, but it's like a viewpoint that's been put out there. But then... Roy Keane, not a, not a man I always agree with overly, came out and said a great thing. He's like, you can give all the plaudits you want to Arsenal, but who's going home with three points at the end of the day? It's United. Yeah, I mean, it goes both ways, and right? It's, it's, just, it's, like, it's just like, I would much rather us, you know, defend for 70% of the game and then score three and then score three goals in the counter than 
us you know play really well and lose and like like, like yeah we played really well and I'm, I'm like i'm actually happy with the performance away at old trafford unlike recent times where we've just gone over gone over gone there and just played a bit shit or just sometimes even just laid down and 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 taken it but still at the end of the day it boils down to it united scored three we didn't we scored one so it's like yeah it goes both ways like you know like Arsenal will keep playing well. I think Arsenal will have a good season. Me too, um, me too. But yeah. it's, it's just disappointing. It's like you, like if we had a won that one or even drawed that one away at Old Trafford, it would have been like, yeah, this is like, this we're turning a corner. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, honestly, like ten, we can look ahead in 10 games time and honestly, like Arsenal probably would win most or draw most of those games. Like this is probably just a one-off thing. Yeah. In my opinion. And I guess like probably for both teams, this game is not going to define the season. It's always, you know, when you have a rivalry, when you have a derby game or whatever, it's yeah. people who fire up and stuff. So, like, United have played well against Liverpool and Arsenal to an extent. But then against Southampton and Leicester, the performances weren't as good. But then in those games, you had clean sheets and you conceded against Liverpool and Arsenal. But then I guess you could also ask, argue that there's more chance you would concede against better teams. But, like, either way, like, whatever way you slice it, United are now four wins from four and only conceding two goals across those games. Yeah. Um, and well and truly, like, I had them finishing outside the top four this season. I think I had them finishing sixth. Um, but based on how one team is doing, which we'll touch on in a sh- short amount of time, uh, and how even Liverpool are doing, which we'll also touch on in a second, United could well and truly be back in that top four race. Yeah, I mean, six games into the season. Yeah, you, can you, can only, you can only judge on what you see in front of you. Yeah, exactly. You know, these there's variables, you know, with injuries and then all these other things, but with the World Cup in the winter as well. But um this time last year it was complete opposite. First two games in, United fans, including myself, were title. buzzing. Yeah. We're like thinking of the title, right? Yeah, we're like, Well, that was a natural progression based on results. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, everything sort of just broke down. And against Liverpool specifically, I think it's really important because that fixture was pretty much the same time it was last year. You know, the whole, oh, let's play on high line, high press. You had Maguire on the halfway line, got picked apart like a Sunday league team. There was nothing, and it just was horrible. Against this Liverpool team, same team, different manager. Well, Liverpool team had quite a few players missing, but yeah. Yes, but Same team, same coach, yeah. Yeah. They didn't just park the bus, really, and the whole result was different. Even if United had lost that game, I wouldn't have been devastated yeah. just because of the way they tried to play at least. Yeah. And, but like, I, I, before, I guess what I'm saying now is with like, I know it's only six games into the season, but such is, has been the drasticness of the turnaround from losing the two, one to Brighton, four nil to Brentford. Firstly, I'll, it's a two part question. Firstly, I'll ask you, what were you, what was your predictions and assumptions for United's season going in before ball had been kicked this season? And what, and what are they now? Um, before the season started, I thought they would be lucky and they would it'd be a, a good season if they finish fourth because ultimately it's progress. And I would be happy if they didn't play, sorry, didn't get too many results, but played better as a team. And, you know, you see progress, you know, you back a coach, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I wasn't, I was obviously sad, but I wasn't surprised with the start. Yeah. There's only so much you can change yeah. in like one preseason. Yeah. Now with, you know, it picking up, I reckon top four is achievable. 
and yeah, there's less uncertainty over the squad and everything now. So it's looking a lot better. Yeah, um, I guess we'll we'll, we'll talk at the end of the episode. We'll we'll touch on how um, Arsenal and United will shape up for their first Europa League games. But do you think it's feasible for both teams that played on Monday morning to have you winning the Europa Cup as like a as, as a goal? Oh, 100 percent. They have, they both have to try and win it. Um, not only because it's good to win trophies. Neither of these teams have won trophies in a while. Um, but also it's you can we won more recently than you guys. But anyway, that's that very true. <laughs> but also to get into the Champions League. Yeah. Alternatively, it'd just be great. You know, United have lost so many Europa League, well, two Europa League finals, and whatnot. Just, if I had if I had to push you for a way too early prediction, do do you see Arsenal and United both making top four? I reckon. I reckon so, based on the current trajectory. Yeah. And the way they're playing. Most of them, like, you can look at results all you want, but just the way they're playing is a good indication. Mm. What do you... I, I, there's some obvious things that people will put it down to, but I want to ask you, um, what do you... Because obviously, it's it's not it's not every day you, you lose 4-0 than win four in a row. Mm-hmm. What, what, what are the... Give me the, 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 the three main things you put it down to, the United turn and form. Um think it all comes down to the coach in this case because mm-hmm. you know we've switched coaches many times but the whole all the stories being leaked about ten Hag running like i don't know 13 kilometers with after. the team mm. and just his reaction after every loss you know it was all the same it was the whole you know he's he's like this isn't good enough all that stuff it wasn't like apologizing to the fans he never he never looked like he was phased yeah. he was just like this is what i signed up for i knew it was it wasn't going to be good there's a long way to go and he made the big calls so, that, so that's one. Yep, that's the coach. Um, obviously related to the coach, um, the personnel, right? You're dropping big names that never got dropped, no matter how badly they played. Makes a big difference. Um, and then the signings as well. So give me like which which, which names were the most key in being dropped to the performance? Because like you said, there, were, there was a few. Which were the ones most key to be dropped? Maguire, sure. R- Ronaldo technically didn't get dropped. But, you know, he's been on the bench every single... So you think Ronaldo... Uh, I'm sorry, Maguire and Shaw are more important than Fred being dropped? Um, I think... Well, the thing is, playing Fred and McTominay together is sort of like yeah. what makes it different. You know, having one McTominay, one Fred could work in mm. a lot of teams. Having both is sort of like the meme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, having, you know, that all click. And also other transfers coming in. Also, just boosts everything yeah i think that for me the biggest thing has been the swapping of has been maguire out martinez in next to varan because yep. martinez and maguire looked okay but obviously you guys still lost um but M- martinez and varan completely different team because because i feel like for just especially for the way you guys play in terms of like the way you guys are playing against bigger teams counter-attacking but even just just in a general sense for United to turn a corner, it was going to start from fixing things at the back. Like you can not talk about McFred, you can even talk about Luke Shaw, whatever. But for me, it was the central defensive partnerships. Like McFred, whatever, Luke Shaw, you know, certain players not playing, Rashford playing badly last season. And the crux of it was, even though Maguire wasn't at fault for every goal they conceded last year, the crux of it was Maguire created uncertainty at the back and that spread throughout the whole team. So I think now that Varane is playing alongside Martinez and they're bringing out the best of each other it just it, it trickles down Did it does agree? it starts from the back and 
these these are things that stats can't really measure. Yeah. You know, you watch the games and stuff, and you see simple things, very basic things that unfortunately I I have come to notice. One ball goes back to Martinez, which used to be Maguire. Martinez takes a touch out, plays a crisp ball into midfield or to the full back. With Maguire, he'd take an extra three, four seconds of a Might ball. Might even give it away, yeah. Or, ball, or it bobbles up. And then he plays, you know, a very bobbly ball into the full back. And that just slows everything down. And it makes a big difference. Um, as much as less meaning I've given it, it's just... <laughs> it's nice seeing... It's just people doing the basics right yeah and i liked Maguire. don't get me wrong i've never been like you know Maguire out but he's there's no confidence in him you anymore you might not have been Maguire out but surely at some point you were like he had to be dropped he had to be dropped you know if you don't play well you get dropped yeah. as simple as that i didn't want him to be captain yeah i do think that was ten hog i think maybe he just didn't realize that the, the extent of how bad Maguire was but or Maguire, how bad Maguire's form was sorry um, but like, I do think it was silly keeping him as captain. So, like, you need, I think as a manager, you need to come in and just sweep the changes. Especially like, when you don't need to sweep the changes if the captain's not playing well. But if the captain's in the situation Maguire's in, just be like, all right, I'm going to take this burden off your shoulders because it would have been a burden for him as well. I feel like you need to come in. You need to say, okay, this burden it's no longer yours. I'm going to give it to someone else. Yeah, but just the way they want to play, right? You know, when they signed Maguire, they used to just counter attack, sit deep, had McFred. And then they'd counter with, you know, fast players like Rashford and whatnot. Yeah. And that worked. The moment they started... Well, it's working again now. Yeah. But the difference is they used to have no real plan apart from sit deep and go forward when yeah. you can. Now it's... They defend more more as a team. Yeah. And you can see it in the way they're, they're passing the ball as well. Again, I want to see this happen over the next sort of 20, 30 games. Um, other than that, like, I'm pretty happy with the progress. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. If I, if I was a United fan, I would I would be very pleasantly happy with like like you go to lesser teams and maybe struggle a little bit to creatively, but don't concede. And then you, I think Ten Hag tactically realizes that you can't. His his team's not quite good enough to go toe to toe attacking football with a Liverpool and maybe not with an Arsenal. So you just sit back and then hit them on the counter. Yeah. Um. But that's the thing. Like I'm gonna. Turn, uh, switch lanes now to talk about Arsenal Arsenal have looked so good against teams um, so far this season who potentially maybe would have set up to play us on the counter but didn't quite have the firepower that United have but very quickly it became aware like the first goal Sambi the Conga is out of position which is why Bruno has all that space and then Gabriel is very rash to rush out and it leaves a mile, miles of space for um, Anthony. But the next two goals, yes, one of them is a phenomenal pass from Bruno, but the next two goals, we're, we are trying to play this high-line system that City and Liverpool and stuff play, but we just weren't, uh, maybe because we hadn't played a team good enough at it yet, but we just weren't a, a, a awake to the threat of Rashford in behind. And we got, uh, the first time, great pass from Bruno, but like we're, not, we're nowhere near aware of it enough. Like uh, and then the second and then the third one, we just too many bodies committed for trying to chase the game and again, like it's from the halfway line essentially. Uh, so I think that's definitely an area that like and I, it's maybe it's potentially a, a blessing in disguise that it's happened this early in the season because we'll be like okay, we need to be a bit more conscious of this. Like we can't just be super gung ho playing at the halfway line all the time. Yeah, I mean it happens to Liverpool a lot as well. You know, despite their dominance and. 
you know, against every team. They get caught out a lot um, and they manage to outscore a lot of teams. Yeah. So, yeah, if you don't have a Van Dyke or an Allison to clean things up, then, yeah, it can be quite dangerous. Yeah, but I, do, I think the biggest thing for me was we missed Thomas Partey in this game. Like, Lukonga was okay. Again, was not more than okay. He was decent against Aston Villa. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, Partey or Elneny is better at screening that back four and also just better at, you know, not allowing a creative player like Bruno to have enough time to pick out a pass like that. For sure. So, yeah. But at the end of the day, we move, you know. Arsenal uh, and United have both got their Europa League fixtures and then um, Arsenal have... I think Everton on the weekend which we'll speak about later and United have Real Sociedad no in the Premier League Premier League um, uh, Crystal Palace Crystal Palace well that's a tough game so it's never easy alright but uh, moving on we've got uh, another big game that happened over the weekend because there was two big fixtures and it was the Merseyside derby uh, this probably would have been top of the draw if um, uh, Wilbur was on but um <laughs> Alas, he's not. And we have an Arsenal and a United fan recording. He's going to be both, isn't he? (laughs) Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Um, But yeah, nil all in the the Merseyside derby. Possibly the most entertaining nil all draw. It's up there. uh, I've ever seen. I can't remember one. Like what? Woodwork hit five times. uh, In ten, really. Like six plus saves, maybe either keeper... Uh, a potentially a potential not called red card a disallowed goal yeah look a game had it all um, but I think more my, more of my takeaway than Liverpool are still struggling which is which is a takeaway from that game uh, the other takeaway I have is a team a lot of a team that a lot of people had slated to get relegated this season Everton are now undefeated in their last four haven't won a game but they're undefeated in their last four and they look better every week they really do. You know, slow starts are quite common in the Premier League, especially in the new team new ma- or newish manager. And then it all it takes is one big derby game to fire everyone up. And they've put together, you know, a string of good res- goodish results, you know, not losing. And it'll make all the difference going forward for them. Um, they've made good signings. And it's just too early to call in my opinion and usually if you look at last season if you nearly get relegated that's usually a good bit of motivation yeah. for the next season um, who else was rubbish last season Leeds nearly got relegated look at them now yeah it, it's always like that isn't it you, you, it's sort of stereotypes in the Premier League you know you nearly get relegated and then you just keep getting better after that or you have the team that's nearly promoted signs 20 players and then gets relegated yeah again yeah <laughs> um but another sort of narrative that a lot of people, a lot of sort of online pundits or even actual pundits were, were saying is like that Frank Lampard was a bit of an unknown as a manager and like did, did he have the chops to, you know, for, for the Everton job to keep them up? And it's interesting, no one seemed to question how good of a manager Steven Gerrard was, at least at the start of the season. There's definitely some question marks around him now. But a lot of people seem to have second thoughts about Frank Lampard. And... I'd argue that while Villa have, and, and um, Everton have the same amount of points, I'd argue that Frank Lampard is doing a better job at the moment than Steven Gerrard. Yeah, at the moment, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess people don't question Steven Gerrard as much because of two things. One is because he started well with Villa, and prior to that, he did well with Rangers. So I guess his CV 
is a little bit more positive. With Lampard, it's more so he got he was with Chelsea. Yeah. And he had no real big experience before that. Yeah, he was in uh, the championship with Derby. But like, what's more impressive? Is it, and like, I, I know to, to the obvious answer is winning the league with Rangers. But what's more impressive, winning the league with Rangers or finishing fourth in the Premier League with Chelsea side under a transfer ban? And like, really think about it before you answer because I know it seems obvious winning the league, but compare the leagues, compare the competition, compare the situ- situations. No, I don't think it's a wild call at all. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, 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 Lampard's job was hard. A lot more pressure and, you know, the Scottish League, you know, it's, it's not exactly as competitive as the Premier no. League. So I fully get that point. I don't disagree at all. Yeah, so there you go. I feel like I don't know. I feel like counting out Frank as a, as a manager who came into a situation at Everton that was so bad, like just, years of mismanagement in that squad, and then a manager in Rafa Benitez who just wasn't it, and he comes into that situation essentially like if he had to come in any later, they might have got relegated because it took him that long to fix things. But or seeing like he, he he's he just about did enough to keep him up. They, they, they didn't play amazing stuff last year, but that, I reckon that was less on Frank Lampard and more just on the mentality in the squad. It was an all-time low. And now you're seeing him bring in really good signings, like that midfield now of Onana Adrisa, and like Adrissa Gay came off the bench uh, against Liverpool looked class, so they'll probably start next game. And then you've got Alexi Wobie in front of him, who I don't know what's happened to him. He, all of a sudden, like they moved him to centre midfield. He did show promise like that against Arsenal, but like he'd been playing mostly as a wing-back or a winger before Frank Lampard came in. And all of a sudden, he's looking like prime David Silva. <laughs> I, I don't know how, but he looked, he looked great. Yeah. Uh, and then even the signing of Neil Mopé, yes, should have scored to win that, to, to, to arguably win that game for um, Everton. But while Dominic Calvert-Lewin's out, he's a more than capable backup. Oh, 100%. You know, he's proven to play in a you know, mid-table-ish team mm. in the Premier League. And he's always put in the shift. So it's a good signing. Yeah. It's really hard to nip, nick a player. Yeah. <laughs> who are you essentially right or you know rivaling in the league with yeah and then and then Nathan, this player who didn't barely play last season in Nathan Patterson looks to be class this year and then a player last season who got better as the season went on but was still a bit of an unknown Vitaly Mikolenko pretty much kept Salah under wraps the entire game arguably did a better job on Salah than Tyrone Molassi did almost mm. um, and then yeah so like all those two guys have come to the four and then their centre back signings look cla- who, I don't know whoever said Connor Cody couldn't play in a back four it, it's just it's oh, it's one of those sort of meaningless calls yeah. just because he's played in a back four I mean back five for a lot of his career because he was playing with Wolves yeah. in a certain system does not mean he didn't have the traits to do elsewhere yeah ridiculous but um, I guess Liverpool well I don't I don't really know I guess there's injuries but like I don't really know what's going on there like it's a weird one isn't it I think for me, it's two things. Um, looking at it from a non-Liverpool fan perspective. Midfield is important because their midfield has always been, you know, three workhorses, never had creativity. Um, you know, added Thiago and they have, they've got world-class players in those positions. You've got Fabinho, you've got, you know, they used to have Wijnaldum as well, you know, Hendo, all, all those players. And they work really well together because they really help the full-backs push forward and the forward line to do their thing. And they'd always have people putting in a shift even when those got those players got injured um but now you know some of the players are getting older there's no even the players playing now like Harvey Elliott they're all class but it's just not as balanced as it used to be you, you, 
and you also remove Mane from the left wing, who was so important. Yeah, I think that that was that's not really been real. That wasn't realized at the time just how big a loss that was by a lot of people. Oh, like, like Salah obviously scores, you know, like he's top scorer and everything. But Mane scores so many clutch goals, and you know I was so scared every time any team went up against Liverpool. More about Mane than Salah. And also the Salah to Mane and vice versa connection is what is so good as well. When you do, when you take that away and it's Salah to Firmino or uh, Diaz, it's not the same because those two just had a connection. Exactly. And, you know, that dynamic between the front three is so important in, in any world-class team. Right? It's always, you know, the three at the front who, who form such a deadly trio. And you take Mane out of it. And Diaz is really good. But he was shining as a sort of substitute to Mane. You have Mane playing for 70 minutes, causing all sorts of havoc. He gets tired or he's not on his A game. Then you put Diaz on. Yeah, exactly. And everyone's like, oh, same with Jota. You put them on, you're like, oh, you have to deal with these guys again. Now it's like they're starting. It's just not as dangerous as Mane. Mane is just too good. Yeah. And I also think as well, like you mentioned before, like the, the midfielders of like... Thiago, Henderson, Wijnaldum, um, and Fabinho. Oh, oh not Fabinho still playing, but like you bring in Harvey Elliott and Fabio Cavallio and stuff like that, and like they're good and they will be good. But I just think in terms of the way that Liverpool play, and like you can argue that they need more goals from midfield, but the way Liverpool have always played, it's just been like the ball goes from midfield to the front three as fast as possible every time. Yeah. Whereas you get these sort of slightly techier players like Harvey Elliott, Fabio Cavallio, who just want to spend a little bit more time on the ball, you know, arguably are more attacking midfielders. And then it kind of just like, sort of, I don't know, maybe doesn't slow things down, but it kind of just like disorients everything a little bit because all of a sudden they're occupying spaces that maybe like Thiago and Henderson didn't used to occupy, so it throws everything out of whack. Also, maybe they don't recycle the ball as fast or, or just like they haven't quite fitted into play the style that, uh, Henderson and Thiago would play or um, you know or any other or, um, or like a Wijnaldum or anything because at the end of the day it's about balance in my opinion I know I've heard our good mate Yannick say all the time he hates that midfield he wants someone like you know Jude Bellingham in there scoring goals from there you know the, the Gerrard character but the way how have they won so many things over the last two three years four years it's because they had that balance yeah. they had three like that midfield will probably not work at City. It probably won't work at Real Madrid, but it worked for them the way they played. Yeah. So, so if they were to replace those players who are either injured or, or transferred out, they need to find players who are similar to mm-hmm. that profile. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's it's completely different to what it used to be. Yeah. Javier Lee and the Carvalho class, but they're not part of that system that won everything. Yeah. Do you think, because obviously mentioning Yannick, he's already said the title's gone for Liverpool. Do you think the title's gone? No, no chance. Yeah. No. I was going to say, I don't think so either. The, the, saying the title's gone for Liverpool is the same thing as saying Arsenal will win the title. Yeah. Because it's just, you just don't know. Yeah. And also, like, I think all of a sudden Liverpool will have their players back and they'll be really good. Yeah. Like, Jota, Jota came up, Jota, Jota only had his first appearance off the bench against Everton. He'll be back in the lineup very soon. Uh, Thiago will be back in a week or two. Um, yeah. Henderson is already good. I think he's pretty much fit to go again. Like, pretty sure two seasons ago, City had a horrid 10 game run yeah and they won the league yeah after and then they won every game since Christmas and won the league yeah <laughs> yeah and this is you know there's always disruption and also and yeah they haven't had Canate or Matip as well exactly they yeah. come back into the team and they'll be way better yeah like they will like and you know Don Nunes got sent off in this third game had to sell on the bench 
or sit on the sidelines for three three weeks. So it's like once he gets going as well, hmm. everything will look a lot better. I think it's all just been like the perfect storm of bad things to happen to Liverpool right now. But given two months from now, <laughs> as we hear uh, Vinny's dog going well, um, two months from now, I think it'll all be forgotten because I reckon they'll be back to winning games and they'll, it'll, they'll all be chilling. Like, it'll be like, it'll be fine. Yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> I don't even know. It's, it, people just make judgment calls a bit too quickly. Yeah. Um, all, all it takes is one week or two weeks and suddenly the whole narrative changes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about the dogs. No, it's fine. Um, we love pooches around at the 40-yard switch. Um, next, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about is and there's quite a few things to this uh sort of story hold on i'm just gonna but first we will start off with the fact that um chelsea's been actually no we'll start off we'll we'll start with the fact that thomas took was an hour before we started recording has been sacked and we'll, we'll, we'll say that and then we'll circle back to it later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because there's quite a bit that's gone on in the past week uh, or even longer than that that's probably led up to this. Um, firstly, we'll talk about their 2-1 defeat of West Ham. Um, more than the game itself, what marred this game was the first of a few VAR and refereeing decisions that happened over the weekend that we'll talk about. But yeah, this one... First and foremost, uh, so uh, West Ham score, I think, first. They go 1-0 up. Then Chilwell comes on, gets a goal and an assist to um, put Chelsea up ahead. And then in the 91st minute or something, yep. uh, corner, uh, Mindy spills the ball, corner gets the ball, scores. And then VAR ludicrously says that they reckon Mendy's been fouled by Jared Bowen. Yeah, so, you know, they were going for 50-50. Mandy got to the ball first, but he spills it, and then Bowen basically just was trying to run over him, Mm. and his trailing foot clipped um, Mandy in the chest or something like that. And yeah, look, it's probably It's the most innocuous thing in the world. Like, yes, it probably hurt, but it's not a foul. Yeah. And you watch it in replay, yes, it's... I wonder what they were trying to look at because... You're looking for, if you're looking for contact, of course there's contact. Yeah, didn't I swear you something you said like in our group chat was like every time a 50-50 happens like that, the keeper is going to touch the striker or vice versa. Yeah, it's just like a normal tackle. You can get the ball first and then get the player. Yeah. But in this case, he wasn't trying to get the ball. Yeah. Jared Bowen never had control of the ball, really. Yeah. He just happened to run into a keeper who was diving at his feet. Yeah. And... He didn't even try stick a foot out. He literally was running and went over um, Mendy and his trailing foot n- nipped him. Yeah. So to, for that to be called a foul is, I don't really see any justification. Yeah, it's ludicrous. <laughs> and then, so yeah, that gets disallowed. Um, much crazy, you know, whatever. Um, and then but kind of distracts from the fact that up until the last 15, 20 minutes of that game, Chelsea were looking pretty average and like outside of the two moments of brilliance from Ben Chilwell looked again pretty average how like they have for most of the start of the season would you agree no, outside agree. of maybe the Spurs game yeah no I agree it's just there's just, just too much turbulence happening with that team yeah with that club both upstairs and on the pitch and 
as a, as a United fan, I can tell you that those things do affect yeah. what happens. So then this morning, they go to Zagreb, Croatia, and they lose 1-0 to Dinamo. Again, looking just like weird. Like Almost every game, they start first five, ten minutes looking all right. And then concede an incredibly soft goal. Uh, their 110 million combined centre-back partnership of Koulibaly and Fafana, both looking, both not covering themselves in any sort of glory there. Um, and Miroslav Orsic, North London's, or not London, North London, North London uh, London's um, uh, nightmare opponent, puts a Dinamo 1-0 up and they would go on to hold on against Chelsea and win that game without Chelsea putting up too much of a fight. Maybe the keeper had to make one or two good saves in the second half, but yeah, not a very good performance. Sort of indicative of how Chelsea have been playing the Southampton game, the Leeds game, uh, and yeah, most of their performances are, are bar maybe the Spurs game this season. And then, as we mentioned before, an hour ago, it was announced that Thomas Tuchel has been sacked. Uh, what's your What's your initial thoughts from that? Um, it is very reactionary. Uh, I did read that it was decided before the Zagreb game, but even then, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they've spent the most this transfer window than any club like in the world. Three hundred million or something. Like yeah, that, something yeah. close to that. I think it's 270, 80 million pounds. So they've backed him with some players supposedly he wants, but also the whole changeover with the you know the owners and stuff and the you know American style contracts, the whole like we're going to sign you know an English core type thing it's sort of just dominated the whole thing and behind the scenes i reckon there's just been a lot of disagreement between yeah the board and Tukul. yeah because I, I i like you said i don't get it like like they've backed him to the hill in the transfer market they're setting up all their of their young players with big long contracts for the future and you can say argue that that's not necessarily for him but like it just seemed like a bunch of stuff was happening to like keep the ball rolling with chelsea and like the results haven't been there but like it's like like we said, it's six games into the season. You could you could also argue that Chelsea tailed off towards the end of last season under Tuchel as well. Yeah. But at the same time, like unless you've got someone lined up who has a vision with the squad that you have and thinks they can play well with that squad. Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, it just seems ludicrous. Like it was ludicrous to sack Scott Parker after four games. Apparently, that was because board disagreements, and it seems ludicrous to sack Thomas Tuchel after six, seven games. And yeah, I just, I just don't get it. Like, it, like it, to be fair, it's pretty typical Chelsea, even under new management. Like, yeah, it's but, nothing new, really. But um, for all we know, you know, we say that we say the board is backed Tuchel because they spent so much money. But for all we know, they spent all that money because that's what the board wanted to. Do. They wanted to sign those players, not Tuchel. Yeah. So I think that's just an assumption we're making. Um, well, the Tuchel wanted those players, or they were backing Tuchel. Uh, that Tuchel was being backed by oh, the board, but, yeah. but they would—they uh, probably would have spent all that money anyways, because that's sort of what they're doing. Yeah, and Todd Burley, just, I think, just wants to splash cash to make it seem like he's you know in it to win it type of thing. Exactly. You know, seven seven-year contract extensions for like, yeah. Borgia and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's look. There's two ways to look at it in terms of management it's like if if tom bowley and stuff want to start off their whole the whole era with a certain manager then sure earlier the better rather than leave it till later midway through the season hmm. at least the new manager whoever comes in he'll have you know the next 30 something games to figure things out but also it's like if they wanted to sack him 
or wanted to change the manager, why do it now? Why didn't they do it in the summer? Yeah, but like I feel like that it would be kind of on like on what grounds to like to sack Tuchel in the summer. But I guess like I guess now, even though it's like a very small sample size of bad performances, there are still some bad performances that you can kind of base it on. But like yes, they tailed off towards the end of last season, but sacking Tuchel in the summer would have been like a wild thing. Oh yeah, uh, especially a season out from him winning the Champions League. But then like, I can't you kind of think about it. It's like Roberto Di Matteo got sacked halfway through the, halfway through the season after he won the Champions League. Yeah, um, so you know Roman Abramovich or not yeah it's sort of in the Chelsea DNA too. yeah so for me though I just feel like they've Chelsea and another team that have had injuries to certain key players that could have potentially affected their performances they haven't had Angola Kante since round one yeah uh, and he you've you've kind of seen that like how much he, how important he is to that team and but then you can also argue that Jorginho hasn't played the past two games when he probably should have been but then and it's like why if he wasn't playing mid uh, on the weekend why wasn't he playing today against Dinamo Zagreb uh, but then also it's like Jorginho's been playing shit anyway so he, like he's probably warranted to be dropped it's just a lot of question marks yeah over. It's just a lot of question marks yeah and it now leaves a squad that's got a bunch of new players whose quality is like no one knows if is going to be good or robust Cucurella, I think, is a solid fullback, but it, it, I don't think he's better than Ben Chilwell. So now the manager has to come in and decide who's better out of those two. That, and then there'll probably be pressure from the owners who spent sixty million on Cucurella to be like, no, you have to play him. Maybe that, maybe there was pressure from them to play him, and Tuchel disagreed, but they forced him to play him, and then maybe there was some fracture there. We don't really know. But the new manager coming in, you said this off air just before we started recording. Uh, the odds are. Graham Potter, Zidane, and Poch. Pochettino. If you're Todd Bowley, who are you making manager out of those three? I'd get to Zidane. You get Zidane. I mean, it doesn't seem like they'd pick someone for a long term. You, know? you reckon Todd Bowley's picking someone long term with all those long term contracts? I think in terms of young players, if anything, you know, you can you can look at it the way that you know certain certain CEOs, such as like you know um, Woodward, has done, where they've tied players young albeit talented to long contracts to boost their asset value which True. Sold. so right now if you want to sign any of the Chelsea players you're going to pay, pay a huge premium yeah that's a good point yeah so it's not necessarily they just want to keep them but they can make more money out of it True. Um, Zidane is a proven winner yeah Um. so he's won so many things with Real Madrid and out of the three but with a much better Real Madrid team than who Chelsea have got right now yeah of course you know, Poch is. I like him. I do like him as a manager. But you know, if you're Chelsea, Chelsea just wants short-term success mm. at the end of the day. Yeah, it's they, they were like that under Abramovich as well. Yeah, and so. Potter would be another long-term manager. Hey, I I rate Potter as a manager, and probably he probably would be successful. But it would be a long-term project as well. Yeah, I mean, when was the last time Chelsea have had a manager for longer than yeah two two and a half season? If they get Graham Potter to move from Brighton right now, yeah, that'd be an amazing switch from the club's perspective but I don't see why Graham Potter would move now yeah yeah. he's doing a fantastic job unless he wants to chase the money yeah <sighs> yeah mm. it's interesting though because if they bring Zidane and they're almost certainly not going to be playing a back three and then it's like go to the, then it's like do you play Koulibaly and Thiago Silva do you play Fofana and Thiago Silva or do you or does the the Todd Bowley management force the manager to play the two signings they've just brought in in Koulibaly and Fofana I feel like Thiago Silva has to play next to one of those two. 
So it's a lot of headaches. Yeah. If, 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 if you change this, the, there's another reason why getting rid of the manager this early just seems weird because like you've got a squad that's not gelled at all and then you've got to, and they've been, been training to play a certain system and then you're going to get another manager in to train to play a completely different system. And it's like, how quickly is gonna, that going to take? And what, especially like we just spoke about it, you've got United playing better, Arsenal playing better, Spurs playing better. Chelsea could very quickly drop out of the top four conversation. Yeah, it's it's all very turbulent. It's all very hectic and chaotic. But look, it doesn't surprise me at all. Obviously, it's under a different, you know, under Tom Bowley and not Abramovich, but it's still the same blueprint. Mm. But from, because, you know, Abramovich used to have a lot of say who wanted to sign. Mm. You know, back in like Shevchenko and all those players. It's because he wanted them. Torres as well. Mm. But now it's sort of, I feel like the influence is even more just because of how much money he's splashing both on young players and on new signings. And now he's just sacked to him. It's, it's sort of looking like the whole, like the way that United's board ran the club for the last sort of eight years. It's like too much coming from the top in terms of yeah who they want to play and who they want in the team. Yeah, it's just a lot of money, 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 money without a whole lot of substance in the team yeah and then you know big managers have big personalities and they have plans they want to execute yeah and they end up arguing with their own board get don't get the players they want they end up playing them don't do well and it's just a shit show yeah Jose Mourinho is a great example of it uh, but on a personal note I do kind of love to see it I mean you do <laughs> with, love with Chelsea because it's just like I, I just like Tuchel was a bit of a knob, to be honest. And um, Chelsea, I, I, you know, no one re- outside of Chelsea fans really likes to see, do, to see them do well. Yeah, they they they're always there. They always do well. They always splash a lot of cash. They've been doing this for yeah my whole life. Basically, they've, they've been called the rent boys for a reason. <laughs> uh, but we digress. Um, so yeah, uh, very interesting to keep your finger on the pulse for that one to see who they bring in because uh, it'll probably have to be pretty quickly because I don't I don't see Chelsea having a caretaker for very long. And we'll see how that unfolds. Um, just quickly, before we move on to previewing some games that are happening over the next few days, VAR decisions, or not, just sort of refereeing decisions. Well, there was a VAR decision in the Liverpool-Newcastle game, and then a refereeing, bad, it's not really a referee thing, it's a, it's a, bad, a VAR thing, it's a, it's a bad refereeing mistake in the City versus Aston Villa game. Just sort of indicative, I think the topic in general is more sort of referees are no better this year than they were last year arguably even worse would you say yeah uh, to some extent because there was a big a big sort of deal made about how Martin Atkinson John Moss and Mike Dean were retiring and everyone's like oh these refs are rubbish like we're going to be so much better now the new refs don't seem to be doing any better in fact they are almost doing worse I agree it's you know you don't know what you've had until they're gone yeah because like the the, the the early flag for Coutinho's goal against City is just like, it's not a new thing for refs to be told to keep their flag down to the end of the play. Um, so that's a rookie, that's a rookie move. Um, that should never happened. And then, yeah, Liverpool-Newcastle off cycle. We've looked at it just before going on air. It's just ridiculous how they can, how that, like, like how like, there's no transparency with what's offside. And like, You've seen it in the Champions League this morning. The new, the new way of doing it. There's transparency there. That the angle goes, and it's what we've always asked: like, how can you draw the lines like that when the camera and like when the camera angle the fans are given is so shit? It's not in line with the ball. 
or in line with the last defender it's like off sort of on an angle and then you draw the lines whereas least in this Champions League format now it now like t- freezes the frame does the shadow and then zooms in to look right down the line it's essentially the same as goal line technology yeah versus when you had a third ref or sorry the you know that ref who stood next to the goal yeah and all us trying to judge it from a bird's eye slow-mo with players everywhere things flying around and you're like oh like you can see the ball crossing the line but you don't know how much with that technology that we just saw given that it is accurate that's probably the way to go yeah because you know, you, you can make the like you can make the line thicker. You can you can do all these things, but ultimately someone has to pick a point yeah. and draw lines. So and it's still error. human error, yeah. And it's the same thing with like, like VAR is still human error with uh, like red cards or you know fouls given before goals, like you know the Erdegaard Eriksson thing or the Van Dyke not being sent off or the the foul on uh, Edward or the quote unquote foul on Edward Mendy. So at the end of the day, it's there's still human error, and, we, and like me and Wilbur have banged on about this in multiple episodes during the past season. But VAR was supposed to like the the, the whole. I don't clear and obvious isn't even a thing anymore because like there's just nothing clear and obvious about anything with, with regards to VAR now. I feel like that guideline was always as subjective as it sounds. Yeah. Um. In my opinion, and I don't know if this will work practically or not. If you have a VAR, you know, having VAR has solved a lot of issues, but also created it a lot more. Yeah. Having, you know, a second pair of eyes and, and someone looking at a video will obviously clear up any uncertainty. But because it's clear and obvious, like, it won't clear up. They, they're not allowed to intervene as much as I think they should. In a way that if you see a mistake, or if you believe it's a mistake, make them check it out. And if it's not just a one-off thing that they check they'll probably be less obliged to change their mind, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because now it's like always a big moment. Some bloke has told you, oh, you might want to check this out. And you know, oh, I'm probably wrong. Yeah. So they check the screen and then they reverse the decision. Yeah. Right. If it happened, not saying he should go to the screen like all the time, but if, you know, if it's a throw in or, you know, came off a wrong player, you know, it happens all the time. If a ref just goes like, yeah, that came off a wrong player. That's not even like a decision. It's just objective and then they're not going to make any more mistakes. In my opinion, they just, it's just so dramatized over that one incident every time, every time. I don't know. Should we just abolish VAR or should we, do we I think, use more of it? I think there needs to be more of a um, discussion uh, with VAR where it's like, we need to be clued into um, what's being said between the two. Yep. I feel like when they go to the monitor, there needs to be like a like 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 uh, Yannick, our friend, has said. Um, there needs to be like, like like there is in rugby. There needs to be like a hey, uh, like you hear like even if it's not for the fans in the TV stadium, uh, for in the in the stadium, you need to hear it online for the broadcast. Hey, um, just uh, just just paging you or just you know insert ref's name. Just for example, if Michael Oliver's refing and Mike Dean's VAR, you can be like. Uh, hey Michael, uh, just letting you know, um, potential maybe foul in that last play. Not sure if you saw it. Would you like to have a look? And then Michael Oliver uh, can be like, um, "Yep, nah, what wasn't sighted? Didn't get a clean look. I'll have another look." And they go in, or just completely missed it altogether. Or like the Odegaard, um, uh Christian Eriksen yeah. thing, Paul Tierney can be like, "Nope, I had clear view of it. Didn't think it was a foul. Play on." Yeah. Because for me, I think. It's fifty-fifty on whether that's a foul or not. Yeah. 
and like I think it's just on the, like the ref has he's got a clear view of it. He sees if he calls it a foul, cool. If he doesn't call it a foul, cool. Same thing with the West Ham one. If he, if he's like Mendy spilled it, I didn't see a foul there. Play on, play on. But if if the ref's like, oh, I was a bit far away, can you run it back for me? And then I think the, we should, the reason you should also be able to like hear what the people saying is because the ref should ne- the VAR should never be like, oh, I think you I think you fucked up here. Mm. Like you should always be like, just just maybe you want to take a second look. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's like so then for the West Ham Chelsea one. You can reference you be like, all right, cool, yeah, I can see that, yeah, contact there. Don't think it's a foul. It comes back out and it's play on. Uh, apparently, Michael Oliver was the first ref in quite a while to go to the monitor against in the Leicester Brighton game and then be like, nah, it's not a free kick after going to the monitor. So that that's refreshing to see, but it's not. It needs to happen more. At the end of the day, it's still fresh, right? VR has been around for what two seasons? Two, three, three or four now. Three, four. Okay, it feels fresh. Yeah, because it keeps changing. Yeah, but um, you know, ultimately, in my opinion, the rules have gotten better. Still a long way to go because we have all these issues as we've been discussing. But um, it we're living through like the guinea pig phase of VR. It's going at some point. It's going to become more standardized but what's annoying for me is it's it works better in other it works better in the champions league it works better in other leagues why is it so shit in the premier league is because it's because the humans running the var are still terrible refs i mean look if, if they're horrible refs to begin the, with the refs that go to look at the monitor are bad refs like if, it, if they're bad refs the video isn't going to make them any yeah. better it, it might help them see the incident again yeah they're still going to make bad calls because they're bad refs yeah so that's that's all i can really say yeah it's frustrating uh but yeah, uh, I think psychologically though, um, I guess like usually as a referee, you would always you, you back in the day, you trust your gut, you make a call. You, you referees never go back on their call, right? That's what you're told to do, I think, as a referee as well. But now with VAR, if someone say so you it's like a second guessing thing, yeah. If someone goes, you should check this out. You're like, oh, yeah. I. If another referee, a colleague, has decided that something needs to be checked or I might have done something wrong, then when you look at the screen you'll spot whatever he's saying and ultimately people change their minds yeah because you're like oh why would he call me over for all this effort if i'm if that wasn't wrong yeah true yeah yeah anyway um we digress and now we move on to uh the final little bit that we'll uh preview before we round out this week's episode uh which will be um arsenal and man united the europa league previews and then a couple matchups on the weekend so um this week Oh, so on Friday morning, uh, Thursday night, European time, uh, Arsenal play, I think, I'm pretty sure it's PSV, and you guys play... Real Sociedad. Real, Real Sociedad. <laughs> um, Isak's former club. So, do you do you suspect a decent amount of squad rotation, or do you suspect, like, or is Ten Hag going to go pretty gung-ho on this? Do you think Harry Maguire will play? I think in terms of... Yeah, sorry, bit of a technical issue there. <laughs> um, it's you know, I I think he should rotate the squad, but for the sake of you know keeping everyone happy and then making sure everyone gets game time, um, and keeping you know your players who are on the bench somewhat fit and informed. But uh, it's a long season, so I, I I don't think you know United can keep playing the way they're playing without rotating. So I th- I hope to see you know. 
But do you think if he if he brings certain players back in, it just falls apart again, or do you think they've been training all together now during this four game run over the last two three weeks that like players that come in can do a decent job now? That's what I hope to see. Yeah, and that's what I like to believe. Um, seeing one one of my reasons for believing that is seeing how um, McTominay has played. Yeah, true. Uh, like for for the last three years, people say he can't pass forward. He's, he's got a horrible touch bad positioning defensively those things look a lot better not saying he's he's a great player he's just improved already so if if players like Maguire Lindelof um, and all of other players in the squad can improve under him then I, I don't see it being a problem if he rotates it would be quite sad to see <laughs> if they're still equally as yeah. shocking so do you think uh, a full debut for Casemiro oh 100% no, that's definitely on the cards I don't see that not happening and then It'll Maguire in next to one of Varane or Martinez? I think he'll keep playing Martinez. So it'll be Maguire in for Varane? Probably just to protect Varane because he's injury prone, maybe? Exactly. And he only Do came you think Shaw comes back in for Malasia? I think so. Wambasaka for Delo? Possibly. Uh, I know he's not a big fan of Wambasaka. Yeah. Like, he, he, he probably. He definitely would play like Maguire and Shaw, but Wambasaka, I feel like he'd be trying to sell him for, for yeah, summer. Yeah, okay. okay. Uh, Fred back in? Yeah. Fred next to Casemiro, maybe? Yeah. I feel like that's all right. I mean, they do that for Brazil, and yeah. after, and he likes Fred, from what I can see. Yeah. Um, And then maybe Donny van der Beek. For Bruno. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I read this article saying that Ten Hag was absolutely shell-shocked by how um, little confidence van der Beek has yeah. now. Do you reckon Dubravka starts for De Gea? Uh, I reckon it's probably a little bit too soon for him. I reckon he'll he'll just keep playing De Gea. Yeah, um, yeah. I reckon I reckon Alanga come. I reckon Ronaldo starts for sure. Yeah. Uh, I reckon Alanga comes in, and then one of Sancho or Anthony will start. Yeah. So, so that sounds. Uh, I reckon right. Rashford gets 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 given a rest, and one of um, Sancho and Anthony won't play. But yeah, I reckon there'll be quite a few changes. Yeah, I can only imagine so. Um, it's. <laughs> Is another game in like the Premier League game. It's like in three three days after it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Do you see United winning? Uh, honestly, like my predictions have been pretty bad, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I can only say I hope they win. Okay. I want them to win. <laughs> I won't press you too much other than that. Yeah, like anything can happen. Couldn't give me a score prediction though, could you? Um. Uh, I'm say United two one. Okay. Yeah, I back it. Uh, with regards to Arsenal, we, we play PSVI and Holden. Um, I think holding plays. I think uh, Ben White is rested and one of Gabriel and Saliba is rested. Um, and then I think Tommy Asu comes in at right back. Uh, Tini comes in at left back. Um, I think Lukonga will play again just because we've got no one else fit. Uh, I think Shaka will play again, again, because we've got no one else fit. I think Vieira will come in for Odegaard. Uh, and I think... Um, what was I going to say? Oh, and Nakedia comes in for Jesus. Mm. I think... I'd like to see Saka rested, but I think Saka and Martinelli will probably play just because we don't have a whole lot of depth there. And I think Smith-Rowe may have picked up a knock against United, which is really disappointing seeing as he just came back from injury. And he played not that long. He didn't play that long at all. Um, but yeah, I think Vieira comes in. He he actually looked, looked pretty decent against United and almost could have had a goal from a really nice pass had it not been for a last-ditch McTominay clearance before Martinelli got it. 
Uh, and I think we win um, at the end of the day. I think PSV are, are a decent team, but I also think... I hope we win, actually, because um, our biggest thing last year was when we lost one game, we lost two or three in a row. And our biggest thing for us making top four this season will be cutting that out. It'll be we lose and we bounce straight back like good teams should. Yep. So if, we, if we're going to turn that corner this year, I'm hoping that we bounce back against PSV and then we bounce back against again against Everton on the weekend. So I think we'll win this one 2-0. Okay. It's at home, right? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Well, yeah. either way, like I, I, I believe Arsenal's loss to United was just a one-off thing. Mm. It was just a on-the-day... I also think Nketiah is going to score because he's looked very good every time he's come on. Lord Nketiah always scores. Man, he's he he looks different this season, man. Like he looks as like he picking up from where he left off at the end of last season. I mean, Arsenal's team is young. Yeah, you, know, you expect these players to get better and better. And you know, people a lot of people doubted Arteta as well, but I always believe that, like compared to Lampard, compared to to some extent Gerard and obviously a lot you know Oli specifically like he he he, he learned under Guardiola you you learn things from that yeah <laughs> like he if anything Arsenal have a have his understudy um Guardiola's understudy that's a pretty good manager to have oh yeah big time yeah uh, and then moving on, last thing we'll talk about before we, uh, before we finish is the week two of the big weekend games. We'll start quickly with Everton versus Arsenal because the the second game is bigger. Uh, how do you see that one going? Everton versus Arsenal. I think it's at the Emirates. I think Arsenal will 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 take it. I think it'll be very, quite a tough game because Everton are getting better every week. I do think we'll win though. Um, probably like two one maybe. I think it'll be close. Um, two two one or two nil, but it'll be close. Yeah, um, look, you know, with big derby games like the Liverpool Everton game, you know, the underdog always plays out of their mind. It tends to be a thing. So, if Everton can play the way they played against Liverpool against Arsenal, then sure they could get a draw or even or even nick it. But I th- I don't think they're gonna continue that. Yeah. Especially against uh, Arsenal, they are a team in form, albeit the last result. Yeah. Okay. Um, and finally, City versus Spurs. Spurs, if everyone's touting them as the, the, the team closest to Liverpool and City this season. No, I, I personally haven't really seen it so far. I disagree, but also there is obviously optimism yeah. because results, it's coming through. Um, Son's not even playing well. and they're still yeah, He's been really quiet to start the season. Very slow start to the season. Um, but but you were still getting results. You made some good transfers, good coach, proper system. Everything's working well. So yeah, I can I understand optimism, but I still don't think they are the team closest to. Yeah, it's been way too short. Yeah, and especially with how good Erling Haaland's been. Yeah, I mean, look, Erling Haaland and City are miles ahead of everyone. But just in terms of the distance between you know Liverpool, City, and the third team. Tottenham haven't done enough <laughs> to be like that. Yes, they came fourth. Mm. But at the same time, look what was happening around. Arsenal United were both... Choking. Choking. <laughs> Arsenal choked. United just weren't that good at all. Chelsea went going through a turbulent time. Yeah, you could always give credit to the team doing well. and, and then, But you have to see... A that. lot of people were saying they were, they were going to finish third though this year, Spurs. Do you see it? 
I've come to realize that you know, I, to be fair even I said they were going to finish third this season basing predictions off last season's like end result has become quite dangerous yeah and um, I've you know again as a United fan that has you know come to haunt me <laughs> so I, I think it's they're not they're better than they used to be 100% but I still think they're in the in the mixer with like Arsenal United Chelsea they're not miles ahead no sorry yawned again <laughs> um, it's a long day yeah no it has been a long day uh, what was I going to say oh yeah Um. so then I guess it remains to be seen last year they seemed to be a thorn in City's side especially in what was it was that opening round or was it yeah, it was opening round last year. They they went they went and won uh, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium because they just they just uh, they their back five counted uh, like sort of uh, not counted out. What's the word? Cancelled out. Yeah. City's little sort of triangles in wide spaces, and then they hit on the counter against City's high line. Do you do you think that like there there'll be is, there, is it, there's an avenue for them to have a similar level of success this time around, or will City be more prepared for it and Will City have more of a th- City's increased threat with Erling Haaland? Mean they score, regardless of Tottenham's back five. I uh, well, I think both of those can be true. Erling Haaland will be a threat, and he probably will score because he's a machine. But I think Tottenham, you know, in these one-off games, can beat City. You know, it's happened in the past. United have beat City in the past, even when United weren't that good. It's a one-off game but I feel like if City lose this game it's just going to be like every other season they'll lose this one-off game and then, then win the next 10 and then yeah they'll lose this one-off game and then who, like pray for whoever they play next because they'll smash that team exactly that's what I mean about like what I want what I want Arsenal to get to I don't want Arsenal to get to like oh I do but like I don't rec- I don't realistically I don't think we're going to get to a point where if we lose one game against the team we shouldn't we should beat the next the next week we win 8-0 like that's not realistic no. but I want us to respond, respond in that way. We if we lose a game to a team, I want us to then come out and be absolutely on it. City, they lose to anyone. The next week, pencil in a win for that for for them because they they are smashing whoever team they play. I agree. It, it's it, it is a mentality thing. It's it's a it's champions do that. You know, City, Liverpool as well. So, you know, the, the sort of losing streaks that you know United, Arsenal, and Spurs as well go on. That's a work in progress. Yeah. So finally, score prediction for Tottenham. Tottenham City. I'm gonna say two all draw. Two all draw. Interesting. Why is that? Yeah, we all know. We know it's nearly impossible to stop City from scoring. Yeah. But you know, City have struggled against teams like um, Spurs and and to some extent, all these United as well when they just sit deep and just hope for the best and get a goal on the counter when yeah. you have Harry Kane and Son and now you have you know such, such, such dangerous players it I, ca- I can see them nicking a draw and just dropping deep Tony Conte loves it true true I think City are gonna win 3-1 I think Spurs haven't been anywhere near as good as I thought they were gonna be uh, and have been lucky to scrape a couple of results I reckon I reckon they they weren't really good for a win against Wolves they got one um, they drew against West Ham and West Ham haven't been that good yet 
And I just think Erling Haaland is unstoppable right now. Um, and I don't think their backline is as good as everyone said. Like, yeah, probably I'm biased a little bit. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I just think they're gonna. I think they're gonna get found out a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, City are too good, but uh, um, I've just seen too many of his one-off games happen. So I, I I'd back them to nick, nick a draw or something like that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and find out. Both Friday morning and then over the weekend. But as we oh we've crossed over the hour mark that's a good that's a good little session uh, we will come to the end of proceedings uh, as always uh, if you like what you heard uh, be sure to follow us on Spotify give us a five star rating if you feel so inclined and follow us on the our Instagram which is forty yardswitch dot pod uh, as always I've been Jasper Woodson and thank you so much for our special guest this week Vincent Hu great to have you back on again. Glad to be on. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week.